It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Wise guys, these guys know sports. Wise guys, Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. These guys know sports. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here on this Tuesday, January 11th, on the Wise Guy Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember to follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Happy New Year. You are in the house with your boy Trey Larkins talking all the latest in sports news. How was everyone's holiday? season i had a great christmas i had a great 31st birthday day after christmas is my birthday and obviously i got a chance to see my packers wrap up that number one overall seed in the nfc it's playoff time i'm gonna break down some nfl football here in a bit but real quick before i get into the show tonight i know everyone was watching steph curry versus john morant in memphis the Memphis Grizzlies did beat the Golden State Warriors 116 to 108. John Morant, he has been balling for the Memphis Grizzlies. He had 29 points, eight assists, five rebounds. Show why he is one of the best young, promising players in the NBA. Steph Curry had a hell of a game as well. Dropped the triple dub. He had 27 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. Clay Thompson, his second game back to action, 14 points. Shot five of 13 from the floor, two of five from three-point range. Big-time win for the Memphis Grizzlies, improving to 28-14 and 14 on the season. It's a good chance in the postseason we're going to get a chance to see Steph Curry face off against John Morant. We saw it last year in the NBA play-in game. So, you know, we saw Steph outperform John Morant last year in the play-in game. And so, you know, we might get a chance to see it again. Might get an opportunity to see it again. They got a chance to battle it out tonight. We got an action pack show. I'm going to talk about Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. Evidently, because the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in nearly 30 years, I got Bengal fans who are sensitive when it's time to talk football. Like, I got family and friends who don't even want to engage with me when it's time to talk football. When I talk about Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, or when I talk about the Raiders coming to town to take on the Cincinnati Bengals, 4.30 Eastern time here at Paul Brown Stadium on Saturday afternoon, Bengal fans getting all sensitive, getting in their feelings. So I, I, I got to talk about the Raiders and Bengals on Wise Guys, on the Worldwide Sports Network, because here in the city, Bengal fans are so damn sensitive. And every time you want to break down this playoff matchup between the Raiders and the Bengals, Bengal fans get in their feelings. And whenever you want to, you say something about the Bengals, we talk about how inconsistent 
that Bengals defense has been this year, Bengal fans want to call you a hater. So call me a hater all you want, Bengal fans. I'm going to tell you the truth here on Wise Guys on the Worldwide Sports Network. So I'm going to talk about the Raiders Bengals matchup on Saturday. Again, I'm going to also debate who's the better quarterback, Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. Also, later on the show, Brian Flores was fired by the Miami Dolphins. We got a couple other coaches that were fired as well. Mike Zimmer, he's out of Minnesota. Matt Nagy obviously was fired by the Chicago Bears. Joe Judge, he was let go earlier this afternoon. Which coaching firing was the most surprising? Also, which job opening is the most opening job that you would say that a coach would want to go to? Like, what which job opening would you say would be the best opportunity for a new coach to succeed in? I'm going to give you all that a little bit later on in the show as well. But we begin in college football as the Georgia Bulldogs beat the Alabama Crimson Tide 33-18 to last night in Indianapolis in the national championship game for Georgia. Bennett, he went 17 of 26, threw for 224 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, one fumble. Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, he went 35 of 57, threw for 369 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And for the Georgia Bulldogs, they won their first championship in over 40 years. The last time they won the national championship was 1980. That's the fifth longest gap between titles in the AP poll era. Kirby Smart, he got his first win over Nick Saban. He was previously 0-4. And in all four of those games, he had led by 10-plus points in all four of those losses. So Kirby Smart finally gets over the hump and beats his boss, Nick Saban. And that's why I want to start off on the show tonight talking about Kirby Smart because for the Georgia Bulldogs to be able to get over this hump and finally beat the Alabama Crimson Tide, it would not have happened without the great coaching job that Kirby Smart did leading this Georgia Bulldogs team. Again, the last four times Kirby Smart has went up against Nick Saban, he has had a double-digit lead in four of those matchups. And all four of those matchups, he lost. You remember back in the 2000, I want to say 17, I could be wrong, it could be, 20, it could be 2017, 2018, national championship game. We saw Tua Tagovailoa throw a game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Smith in the national championship game. Georgia had a lead in that game, and they came up short in that matchup. And then you remember earlier this season, in the SEC championship game, Alabama, they outlasted Georgia and gave Georgia their one and only loss this season. So Alabama coming into this game, they have had Georgia's number. Nick Saban has had Kirby Smart's number. But it's funny when you look at the college football playoff coaches, right? 
We got Luke Fickle. We got Jim Harbaugh. We got Kirby Smart. And we got Nick Saban. Coming into the college football playoffs, everyone said that Kirby Smart had the most pressure to win on him of all the head coaches. But it's funny because when you look at his record, he got a 66-15 and 15 overall record since he's been the head coach at Georgia. So he's won 81% of his games. So you could make a legitimate argument that behind Nick Saban, Kirby Smart was the most accomplished head coach in the college football playoffs, even over Luke Fickle and John Harbaugh. He's been winning games since he's been at the University of Georgia. Let's go over his records. 2016, Kirby Smart, 8-5. 2017, 13-2. 2018, 11-3. 2019, 12-2. 2020, 8-2. Last year, uh, they were 14 and I'm sorry, they did it this year. They were 14 and one, 14 and one, and won the national championship. I can't say enough about the job that Kirby Smart has done. And Kirby Smart is a two time SEC coach of the year. He won the award back in 2017, won the award this year. So, shout out to Kirby Smart being able to finally overcome Nick Saban and beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. I can't say enough about the job that he has done with this Georgia program. This is the first championship that they have won in 40 years. So we've seen the Florida Gators win championships in the SEC. We've seen LSU win a few championships in the SEC. And we have seen Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide dominate the SEC. And we finally got an opportunity to see Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs finally get over that hump and turn it around and win this game. Now, let's talk about in this game, the quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs, Stinson Bennett. I want to give him a lot of credit because throughout the entire season, we heard about how JT Daniels should be the starting quarterback for the Bulldogs instead of Bennett. And I thought, even though he struggled in the SEC championship, I liked the way Bennett responded in these two playoff games for the Georgia Bulldogs leading them to a national championship. You look at Bennett last night, right? He goes 17 of 26, 224 passing yards, two touchdowns with a quarterback rating of 163. And I thought Stinson Bennett did a great job making plays when the Bulldogs needed him to make plays. We know when you look at the Bulldogs, we all start with Kirby Smart and how great of a coach he is. Then we talk about how elite that Bulldogs defense is. And then we get to Stinson Bennett. And I thought Stinson Bennett did a great job dealing with all the turmoil throughout the entire regular season where people were calling for his job. People wanted JT Daniels to be the starting quarterback for the Bulldogs. They said Bennett wasn't the type of quarterback that you could win a championship with. And so I want to give Bennett a lot of credit because I felt like in the college football playoffs, he stepped up when he needed to. He really, really did. And I thought that he was a part of the reason why 
the Georgia Bulldogs was able to win the championship last night. You remember on, like in this game though, you know, in this game, he did have a moment where he fumbled the ball. And it was one of those moments for the Georgia Bulldogs. Here we go again. He fumbled the ball. Alabama recovered the football inside the 20. So they were in position to score. They ultimately scored and took an 18 to 13 lead. But I want to give Stetson Bennett a lot of credit because on the following possession, Benson on a penalty on Alabama threw a great touchdown pass to Mitchell, the receiver for the Bulldogs. Like they, they got Alabama offsides, free play. Bennett took advantage of it and threw a 40-yard touchdown pass to Mitchell. And it was a key play in the game. It gave the Bulldogs back the lead after the turnover that put the Crimson Tide in position to take the lead. So I thought Stinson Bennett did a great job of showing resilience, even when the cards were stacked against him and the Bulldogs. Because I thought when they had that fumble and Alabama recovered it inside the, inside the Georgia 20, I said, uh-oh, here we go again. Those demons is, is starting to come back. And, I, and let's see if Georgia can overcome the turnover by Bennett in that moment. But like I said, I can't say enough about the job that he did leading this Georgia Bulldogs team. When you talk to Bulldogs players, they talk about the leadership that Bennett has showed throughout this entire season. And again, I just thought overall, he did an outstanding job leading the Bulldogs in the playoffs. You remember in the matchup against Michigan, he went 20 of 30. He threw for 313 passing yards. He completed 67% of his passes, three touchdowns, no interceptions. So he didn't turn the ball over when it comes to throwing the ball to the other team at all. He did have the fumble in this matchup, but for the most part, I thought Stetson Bennett did a hell of a job leading this Bulldogs team. and. I don't believe Stinson Bennett is going to be a number one overall pick. He's not going to be a first round draft pick, but Stinson Bennett forever will hold a place in Georgia Bulldogs history. And he's probably going to be able to drink for free forever, him and his family, because the moment last night of being able to win a national championship and be the quarterback that led the Bulldogs to their first championship since 1980, you're going to have a place in Bulldogs history forever. So in the state of Georgia, Bennett, you won't have to worry about paying for drinks because those drinks will be on the house from the state of Georgia. Also, in this matchup, the Bulldogs did an outstanding job in the second half at being able to run the football. Overall, in the game, the Bulldogs, they had 140 rushing yards. Alabama only had 30 rushing yards. So I thought in the second half, the Bulldogs, they were able to impose their will on the Alabama Crimson Tide, and they were able to take advantage of Alabama's inexperience in the secondary. I thought that was a key as well in this game. That's why you saw Bennett have over 200 passing yards, and you saw in the second half, you know, Mitchell and, 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 you know, Bowers, the tight end, he scored a touchdown late in this game. 
you saw them able to take advantage of the inexperience in the Alabama secondary. And I thought that was the biggest difference in the game. Also, a key play in the game as well was with Cook, his big-time run at the end of the third quarter. I thought he got – I think he got loose for like 75 yards, if I'm not mistaken. 67, 67 yards. 67-yard carry for Cook. And you know in the backfield for Georgia, you got Zamir White, who they call Thunder on this team, and you got James Cook, who they call Lightning. I thought they did a great job running the football for the Bulldogs. White, he had 13 carries for 84 rushing yards, one touchdown. Cook, six carries, 77 yards, got 67 of those yards on the big-time carry at the end of the third quarter. So I thought that they did a great job in the running game, took some pressure off their quarterback in Bennett. Also, I want to give Georgia some credit because – in the first half, I thought Bryce Young and Alabama had opportunities to score touchdowns once they got into the red zone. But that Georgia defense, they are one of the best defenses because they held the Crimson Tide having to kick field goals instead of them scoring touchdowns. Because if Bryce Young and the Crimson Tide score touchdowns in the first half, I think that puts more pressure on Stinson Bennett to have to outperform. Bryce Young, and we know Bryce Young is better than Bennett, and I, I, can't, I couldn't see Bennett being able to overcome a 10 or a 14 or a 17-point deficit. I just couldn't see it. So I thought that Georgia defense did a great job at holding Bryce Young and the Crimson Tide to field goals instead of touchdowns in the first half. Let's talk about that Georgia defense versus Alabama. Overall, right? In the SEC championship game, they gave up 41 points to Alabama. Last night, they gave up 18. SEC championship game, they gave up three touchdowns, no interceptions. Last night, Bryce Young had one touchdown, two interceptions. They had no sacks in the SEC championship game. Last night, they had four sacks. And then in the SEC championship game, they gave up 115 rushing yards. Last night, they only gave up 30 rushing yards. And they held Alabama to one touchdown and four red zone drives. So I thought Georgia did an outstanding job in this game holding Alabama to, touch, to, to field goals in the red zone. And I thought that was the difference in the game. In the SEC championship game, they wasn't able to, they weren't able to get pressure on Bryce Young and Alabama Crimson Tide pretty much had their way offensively. And I thought in this game, they contained that Crimson Tide offense. But we have to be honest about the injuries that hurt Alabama as well. In this game, Jamison Williams, he went down in the first half. It's been reported that he tore his ACL. So that was a key loss for Alabama as well. They lost two 1,000-yard receivers this year in Jamison Williams and John Mechie. And I think Bryce Young in this type of game, going up against this elite defense in Georgia, 
you need your top two receivers in Williams and Mechie to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Georgia Bulldogs in the national championship game. So I thought Bryce Young losing both of his top two targets in the playoffs, I thought it ultimately caught up with Alabama. That's, what I, that's how I feel. I, I thought they, they had some players who are young. They got promise like Ajayi Hall and, you know, um, you know Slade, Bolden. I, you know, they got guys who can make plays, you know, in the passing game. You got Brooks as well, but none of these guys can produce like John Mechie or Jamison Williams. So I thought them losing Jamison Williams was, was critical to Alabama's chances of being able to win this game. But like I said, overall, that Georgia defense is elite. And I want to talk about their statistical numbers. That's, that's very, very impressive because these are the fewest opponents points per game by national champions in the last 25 years. Georgia, they held their opponents to 10.2 points per game. That's the lowest since 2011 when Alabama held their opponents to 8.2 points per game. So Georgia's home teams to under 11 points per game is impressive. It really, really is. And so, like, I want to show some love to some of these players defensively for Georgia. You got Quay Walker, you know, signed. He had a great game last night. Shout out to the freshman, Khalid Ringo, with the pick six in the fourth quarter that sealed the win for the Bulldogs. And then, you know, you got Nolan Smith. You know, he contributed to this game. I mean, they had so many guys defensively who contributed to this win. This is one of the most dominant defenses I've seen, you know, in college football history. They really, really are. And, you know, shout out to the Georgia Bulldogs, for real. I mean, I got to show them some love. They, they were great last night. And since 1990, these are all of the coaches who won a national championship at their alma mater. Philip Farmer, he won a championship at Tennessee in 1998. Steve Spurrier, he won a championship in 1996 at Florida. And then Bear Bryant, he won six championships at Alabama. And then Kirby Smart was able to win a championship at his alma mater. So shout out to Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs to win a national championship. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. I'm sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys know sports. Let's talk about the epic comeback win by the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday afternoon. And they were able to punch their ticket to the NFL playoffs this year. The 49ers beat the Rams 27 to 24. This was the sixth straight win over the Rams for the 49ers. They were down 17-0 at one point in this game. Sean McVay, he was previously 45-0 when leading at the half. And so in this game, Jimmy Garoppolo, he was great in the second half. He went 23 of 32. He threw for 316 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. For the L.A. Rams, Matthew Stafford, he went 21 of 32. He threw for 238 
passing yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. So who was the biggest reason for why the 49ers were able to overcome a 17-point deficit? I got to admit, Jimmy G really, really impressed me in the fourth quarter of this game. And I want to read a few quotes by two individuals I respect who played at the NFL level. Let's start off with Troy Aikman, who called the game with Joe Buck. Uh, and before I get into this, I want to say, watching this game, it was a playoff atmosphere in L.A. Like, watching it, you know, at home on my couch, you know, it felt like the playoffs were already here. I mean, the intensity that the L.A. Rams and the 49ers played with in this game, it was a playoff atmosphere. And listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman call this game, they did a great job. And so here's Troy Aikman on Jimmy G. He said, quote, what a job by Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, just some big-time throws. And then here's Terry Bradshaw on Jimmy G. He said, you got any questions, anybody, about Jimmy Garoppolo and his heart and his determination, his poise under fire, his comeback ability, great throws, clutch throws. I'm telling you, they were all answered today. That was Terry Bradshaw on Jimmy G in his performance. And Jimmy Garoppolo was outstanding. Let's talk about his final two drives in this game. Two drives that saved the 49ers season. Jimmy G, he went eight of 10. He had 133 passing yards. One touchdown, zero interceptions. He had a passer rating for 152. That was Jimmy G on his final two drives that helped the 49ers secure their playoff berth. And I was impressed with Jimmy Garoppolo. That drive that he had that helped the 49ers tie the game up at 24 apiece before they went to overtime, that 88-yard drive was probably the best drive I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo put together at any point in his career. He made big-time throw after big-time throw. And I know Debo Samuel, he was impressive in this game. He had four receptions, 95 receiving yards. You know, Brent Ayuk, he had six receptions, 107 receiving yards. Jennings, he caught the touchdown pass that tied the game up at 24-piece that sent it to overtime, all of those receivers contributed to the 49ers winning this game. But the 49ers would not have been able to win this game without Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I got to give Jimmy credit for the comeback, but I also have to place some of the blame for why the 49ers were down 17 points in the first half on Jimmy G's shoulders as well. because. If I have to give you credit for putting out the fire, I also have to blame you for starting the fire. And he had two bad interceptions in this game. He had one interception in the second half that I thought would have, you know, cost the 49ers, but it didn't. That great interception by Jalen Ramsey tipped it up like three, four times, finally caught it in the end zone. That was a bad throw by Jimmy G. He also had an interception in the first half. He had a fumble as well in this game. So while I have to give Jimmy G credit for bringing the 49ers back, 
and this great comeback performance, I also have to place some of this blame on the shoulders of Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers being down 17-0 in the first half. Like, you can't be down 17-0 in the playoffs against these elite teams like the Packers, like the Buccaneers, you know, and expect to be able to come back. And I'm going to get to the Rams in a bit because I thought they were disappointing in the second half in this game. But, like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo, I've been critical of Jimmy G in the past. He was great in the second half. He was awful in the first half. So, when you talk about the 49ers and whether or not they can be true Super Bowl contenders, it depends on which Jimmy Garoppolo shows up. If you get the Jimmy G that played in the second half, the way that he did against the Rams in the playoffs, then the 49ers are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and they can upset the Cowboys this weekend at Jerry World and be a legit threat to either the Packers or the Bucks, you know, in the playoffs. But if you get the Jimmy Garoppolo that played awful the way that he did in the first half, then the 49ers will be one and done and be watching the rest of the playoffs on the couch with the rest of us because we know they got one of the best coaches in the NFL in Kyle Shanahan. He's one of the best play callers in the NFL. We know offensively they got two great weapons in Debo Samuel and George Kittle. And one thing about Debo Samuel and George Kittle, they don't run around you. They run through you. <laughs> That's why I always say the 49ers, they are one of the most physical teams in the NFL. Debo Samuel and George Kittle are both physical football players. We know that Ayuk can make plays, you know, for them in the passing game. We saw Jawan Jennings catch the game-tying touchdown pass. So they got some weapons offensively that they can rely on. And we know, you know, they got one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. Like, this is a team in the 49ers who never go away from what they do best. And that's running the football. And in this game against the Rams, they rushed for 135 rushing yards. 135 rushing yards. So they want those teams who they line up, they say, hey, we about to run right at you. What are you going to do about it? And I remember there was one drive in the second half. I, I want to say the 49ers, they ran it at least 95% of that drive. Every play ran right at that Rams front seven. I mean, I, I'm looking at Floyd, Donald, Von Miller. Uh, they had no answers for this 49ers rushing attack in this game. No answers whatsoever. And this is the second time we've seen this happen. You remember earlier in the season when the 49ers played against the Rams in the Bay on Monday Night Football, the 49ers dominated the Rams in that game running the football. 49ers, they have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, and they have one of the best play callers in Kyle Shanahan. And then you look at the 49ers defensively. I don't think their secondary is very good. I think their secondary struggles in the passing game. I think you can throw the football against this 49ers pass defense. 
I mean, when you look at their numbers this year against the pass defensively, um, you know, I feel like you can throw the ball on them. You know, they they are ranked sixth in the NFL. They give up 206 total passing yards. That's actually pretty good. But I think they're the reason why they are sixth against the pass is because they rush the passer very well. I mean, you got Armstead up front. You got Bosa up front. So they got playmakers up front. We already know how I feel about Fred Warner. He's one of the best young linebackers. You talk about best linebackers in the NFL, young linebackers, Fred Warner, Devin White. Those are two players that I think should be at the top of your list when it comes to young linebackers. So this 49ers defense, they can get after you. They can definitely get after you and apply some pressure on your quarterback. And um, I thought that was a key in this game, you know, as well. Like they had five sacks in this game. So they was applying pressure on Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams. But when it comes to the 49ers overall, I'm telling you, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't turn the football over and he plays good football, not he don't have to be great. Because even when they went to the Super Bowl, Jimmy G wasn't great. You remember in the NFC Championship game against my Packers, a game that still gives me nightmares, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball eight times. He threw the ball eight times. So Jimmy G doesn't have to be great. They just need Jimmy G to be good and not turn the football over. If they do that, the 49ers are not only a team that could pull off an upset in the wild card round, they could be a team that could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl because they got one of the most physical teams in the NFL. Defensively, they can get after the opposing team's quarterback. And again, offensively, they can line Debo Samuel up anywhere. They can line Debo Samuel up in the backfield and he can run the football like a running back. And we know what he brings to the table in the passing game. George Kittle, he's the top two tight end in the NFL. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, take your pick. Who would you rather have? I love them both. I think I would give the slight edge to Kittle because Kittle is a better blocker in the running game than Travis Kelsey is. But, you know, this 49ers team is legit. And they have been the kryptonite to my quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. They are a part of the reason why Aaron Rodgers has not gotten back to the Super Bowl. And we don't know how this is going to play out this weekend. And But if the 49ers upset the Cowboys and the Bucks beat the Eagles, guess who's coming to Lambeau Field in the divisional round of the playoffs? It's going to be the 49ers. And they're going to be coming up to Lambeau hot, feeling great about themselves, knowing that they have beaten the Packers before in the postseason. And they have been a nightmare for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. A complete nightmare. You remember in 2012, Colin Kaepernick, he had 181 rushing yards against the Packers defense. My man Charles Wilson, great player, great Hall of Famer. Clay Matthews, he was a part of that Packers defense. They got completely lit up in the running game that night when Harbaugh was the coach of the 49ers. And then uh, I think a few years later, the 49ers, they came to Lambeau. It was freezing cold, and they beat the Packers again 
at Lambeau. I think they beat the Packers 23 to 20. It was the game where Aaron Rodgers had came back. And I think earlier in that season, he had broken his collarbone, but the Packers were favored in that game. 49ers strolled right on into Lambeau and beat the Packers, you know, in, in a pivotal game that the Packers needed to advance. So we've seen the 49ers break the Packers' hearts in the postseason. I hate the 49ers. I'll be the first to tell you. And I'll be honest, watching this game, I was praying that the L.A. Rams pulled this game out because if the 49ers would have lost, they would have been eliminated from the playoffs because the New Orleans Saints beat the Atlanta Falcons. So the Saints would have gotten into the playoffs and the 49ers would have been sent home. So I was actually rooting for the Rams to win this game. I know what the 49ers are capable of. I know how they have been Aaron Rodgers kryptonite. So I was praying somehow the Rams find a way to win this game. But it did not happen, which leads me to the L.A. Rams as a team. Watching this game, it's a few things that stuck out to me. Number one, the Rams struggle to stop the run. Again, the 49ers had 135 rushing yards in this game. But on the flip side, offensively, the Rams can't run the football. They only had 64 rushing yards on the afternoon. And that's a part of the problem. In order to take some pressure off of Matthew Stafford, you have to be able to run the football. Now, they, now in this game, they got back Cam Akers. He had five carries for only three yards. But Michelle, he got majority of the carries, 21 carries, but only for 43 rushing yards. He averaged two yards per carry, two yards per carry. And that's a part of the problem that I have with Sean McVay and the LA Rams. You have to be able to run the football to be a true Super Bowl contender. You can't rely on Matthew Stafford to drop back to pass 40 or 45 times to win you football games. Because we have seen the more you put on Matthew Stafford's plate, the more chances are he's going to turn the football over. We saw a few weeks ago, Against the Baltimore Ravens, Matthew Stafford threw some interceptions in that game. And then on in Sunday's game, he had two bad interceptions. He threw an interception that sealed the game for the 49ers. He completely underthrew Odell Beckham. He completely underthrew him. That's my biggest issue right now with this LA Rams football team. They don't do well. At stopping the run and offensively, they don't do well at being able to run the football. And that could come back to haunt this Rams team in the playoffs. That could come back to haunt them. Like they average 99 yards on the ground per game. So 99 rushing yards per game. That's ranked 25th in the NFL. And then defensively against the run, you know, they're not very good. And you would think they would be better considering they got Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and Von Miller up front. You would think they would be better. I don't understand why they struggle to stop the run. Like, it, it's just, it throws my, especially when they play the Niners. For whatever reason, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers, they have the Rams number. 
The last six times they have played, the 49ers have beaten the Rams. Six straight times. So, like, in the playoffs, you know, going up against some of these teams that can run the football, like the Packers, you know, yeah, I could see the Rams having some trouble. And, they, I mean, they first they match up in the wild card weekend will be against Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals. If they struggle to contain Kyler Murray, the Rams could be in trouble Monday night. They could really, really be in some trouble. But I, I thought in this game, there were moments I was watching this game thinking, I don't trust Matthew Stafford in the playoffs. I really, really don't. Like, I saw some throws that he made that was head scratchers. Like, what are you seeing? And I thought he got a little rattled. You know, like I mean, the 49ers, they had five sacks. But I thought once they applied pressure on Matthew Stafford, he started pressing. And I, that's why you saw him throw two interceptions in this game. And it's levels to this. Let's just be very, very clear about that. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, those quarterbacks, they can handle the pressure that comes with the postseason and having to win playoff games. Those four quarterbacks I just named, they can handle the pressure that comes with being able to win playoff games. And there's a few others. I mean, some others who aren't participating in the playoffs this year, like Russell Wilson. I think Deshaun Watson can handle playoff pressure. Um, I'm, I think the jury is still out on Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, guys like that. I think the jury is still out. I said Joe Burrow, and I know everyone's probably thinking like, well, Joe Burrow hasn't even played a playoff game yet. Listen, I believe in Joe Burrow. I saw Joe Burrow win a national championship at LSU, and he just does not ever seem to get rattled. Like I, when I watch Joe Burrow play, I never see Joey B get rattled. I saw Matthew Stafford in a regular season game, week 18, with a 17-point lead, get rattled in the second half. I saw it. And so that's my biggest question for this L.A. Rams team as they head into the postseason. Will Matthew Stafford choke under pressure in the playoffs? Because that's what the playoffs are all about. It's all about those pressure moments. And I think Matthew Stafford, if you rattle him, I think that could be a recipe for success for opposing teams going up against this L.A. Rams team. We know they got talent. We know offensively they got a top two receiver in the NFL in Cooper Cup. They got a great receiver in Odell Beckham who's been producing since he's been in L.A. Higby at tight end. You got Cam Akers in the backfield. And then defensively, they got stars. You got Jalen Ramsey. You got Aaron Donald. You got Von Miller, a proven playmaker at linebacker. So we know they have the personnel that could win a Super Bowl. The biggest question that I have for this L.A. Rams team as they head into the postseason is can Matthew Stafford step up in those pressure moments in the playoffs for his team to be able to win games and get this team back to the Super Bowl? because. They traded a lot for Matthew Stafford. They traded a lot for Matthew Stafford. Jared Goff was able to get this Rams team to the Super Bowl. 
Now we know Matthew Stafford is better than Jared Goff, but at the same time, for everything that the Rams gave up to acquire Matthew Stafford, they traded for Matthew Stafford for the postseason. For the postseason. So we're going to see what Matthew Stafford is made of. I mean, you look at his numbers this season, right? He had 41 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. He threw for close to 5,000 passing yards. He completed 67% of his passes. So we know Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback, but in the playoffs, going up against Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, the Rams need him to be great. They need him to be great, not good, not good. And he can't continue to turn the football over. I mean, two interceptions last week against the 49ers. He had two interceptions against Baltimore. He had three interceptions against Minnesota in week 16. So the last three weeks, he's thrown seven interceptions. Eight interceptions, if you include week 15 at Seattle. Eight interceptions the last four weeks. Come on, Matthew. I, I, need, more, I need more from you. Sean McVay, I need more from you as well. Because you traded away Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. So, Sean McVay, I need to see you be able to perform in the postseason and get back to the playoffs. All the money that the Rams have spent, they brought in Odell Beckham this year. They traded for Von Miller. They got Aaron Donald. They got Jalen Ramsey. They got Cooper Cup on the offensive side of the ball. They got Tyler Higby. They got so many weapons and so many dynamic players. This is a put-up or shut-up postseason for the L.A. Rams. And I want to see what they're made of. And in this game against the 49ers, a game that they had in the bag, leading 17-0 at one point in this game, it showed me that this L.A. Rams team has some things they need to improve on before I believe they can go on a Super Bowl run. I mean, 17-0, you got to close that deal. Now, good thing for the 49ers is, I'm sorry, good thing for the L.A. Rams is they still were able to win the NFC West because the Cardinals lost to the Seahawks. So they were still able to win the NFC West because it had, had the Cardinals beat the Seahawks, then the LA Rams would probably have to go to Arizona versus playing Arizona at home in LA. So, you know, they could thank Russell Wilson and the Seahawks for that. But I mean, this team, I got my questions about this LA Rams team. Now, let's talk about the 49ers and the Rams before I move on to my next topic. Which team has the best chance to go on a deep playoff run? I'm going to say the 49ers, and here's why. I believe the LA Rams are a more talented team than the 49ers. I believe that Matthew Stafford is significantly better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I believe that Cooper Cup is better than Debo Samuel, although Debo Samuel is to be respected. I believe that Aaron Donald 
is better than any of the 49ers players defensively, even better than Bosa. I think Aaron Donald is better than Bosa. But the reason why I say that I believe in the 49ers to go on a deep playoff run more so than the Rams is because the 49ers stay true to who they are. And I think that is a team that can go on a deep playoff run and upset a few teams in the postseason. The Dallas Cowboys, they should be on upset alert. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to get my predictions for the game on Friday's show, but I could see the 49ers going into Dallas in Jerry World and beating the Dallas Cowboys. I can see it. So the reason why I say the 49ers has a better chance to go on a deeper playoff run than the Rams because they stay true to who they are. They run the football effectively. And we know great defense and a great running game travels. It goes everywhere. You can take that with you on the road, in the playoffs, and win in any atmosphere. I can see the 49ers going into Dallas and beating the Cowboys. I can see the 49ers going into Tampa and upsetting Tom Brady and the Bucks. I could see the 49ers sadly coming to Lambeau Field and upsetting Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I could see it. The Rams, they just so inconsistent. Matthew Stafford so inconsistent. I, I just don't know what I'm going to get from the Rams. Talent is there. It's there. But, like, I look at the Rams kind of how I look at the Cowboys. They got talent, but it don't always come out. Like, they don't always perform. Like, they, we know on paper, Cowboys, Rams, arguably, are the two best teams in the NFC on paper. Rams, Cowboys, on paper, are the two best teams in the NFC. And a healthy Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, maybe, as well. But the Browns just don't execute. Like, the Packers and the Bucks, they execute. Say what you want about my Packers, but the Packers are consistent. You know what you're going to get from Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Matt LaFleur. I don't know what I'm going to get from the L.A. Rams, you know, with Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and, and Aaron Donald. I just don't know what I'm going to get. The talent is there. They remind me of the Dallas Cowboys. They're the Dallas Cowboys out west, but they just don't execute like the Packers and the Bucks. So I think the 49ers have a better chance to go on a deep playoff run more so than the L.A. Rams. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's talk about these head coaches in the NFL that were fired on Black Monday, shall we? We all saw this one coming. Matt Nagy was fired by the Chicago Bears. Ryan Pace, the general manager for the Chicago Bears, was also fired. Minnesota Vikings, they fired Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. So NFC North cleaning house with their head coach and their general manager. The Miami Dolphins, they fired Brian Flores. The Denver Broncos, they fired Vic Fangio. And then earlier today, the New York Giants, they relieved Joe Judge of his duties as well. So when I look at these head coaches that were all fired, obviously 
the head coach firing, who was the biggest surprise for me, was Brian Flores. Monday morning, I knew that it was a good chance that Mike Zimmer was going to be let go by the Vikings. I knew it was a, you know, it was a great chance that Matt Nagy was going to be let go by the Chicago Bears. You know, I figured Vic Fangio would be fired by the Denver Broncos. As a matter of fact, I think he got fired on Sunday because the Broncos played the Chiefs Saturday in Denver. But this Brian Flores firing caught me by surprise because when I look at Brian Flores, right, during his tenure as head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores, he was 24 and 25. So he won 49% of his games. The last two seasons, he was 10 and 6 in 2020. He was 9 and 8. So the last two years, he was 19 and 14. He was 4 and 2 against Bill Belichick. And when I look at this Miami Dolphins team, right, obviously I'm going to look at their quarterback. The fact that Brian Flores had the Miami Dolphins in a position the last two years to get to the playoffs with Tua shows you the quality of coach Brian Flores is. Because I look at the rest of the young quarterbacks in the NFL. I look at Joe Burrow with the Bengals. I look at Josh Allen with the Bills. I look at Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, Herbert with the Chargers, Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. I look at Kyler Murray with the Cardinals. I look at all of these young quarterbacks, right, with their respective teams. And out of all these young quarterbacks, I believe Tua is the worst. And I haven't really been impressed with Tua since he's been in the NFL so far in his career, Tua, in two years. He got 27 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. He's thrown for close to 5,000 passing yards in two seasons. He's completed 68% of his passes. But I don't look at Tua as being a game changer for the Miami Dolphins. And last year, I thought Brian Flores told us everything you need to know about Tua and how he felt about Tua. because. In late game situations, they put in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick? Ryan Fitzpatrick, the old veteran, inconsistent quarterback, you put him in in late game situations over your young quarterback in Tua who won a national championship at Alabama? It showed you how Brian Flores looks at Tua. He doesn't view Tua as the type of quarterback that you win because of, you win in spite of Tua. You need a great defense and a great running game to be able to win with Tua. You don't need that with Joe Burrow. You don't need that with Justin Herbert. You don't need that with Josh Allen. You don't need that with Kyler Murray. So the fact that Brian Flores had the Miami Dolphins in a position to get to the postseason the last two years 
with a 19 and 14 record tells me that he is a great NFL head coach. And I felt like the Miami Dolphins made a mistake here because they were headed in the right direction. But the Miami Dolphins have always been a mess. And a part of the reason why they have always been a mess is because of their owner, Stephen Ross. Because this was a situation where Stephen Ross, he lives in New York, I believe, but he attends Miami Dolphins away games and he comes to the home games, but he's not there every day. He's not, he's not a hands-on type of owner like a Jerry Jones. You know, like Jerry Jones, he's in the facility every day with the Dallas Cowboys. He's the general manager, he's the owner, and he knows what's going on with his football team. Steven Ross is the opposite. So in Miami, the person that's been in charge is the general manager. That's Chris Greer. So Chris Greer, since he's been in Miami in 2016, he has a record of 47 and 50. That's his record as general manager. He's also the general manager who chose Tua over Justin Herbert. But somehow, Stephen Ross decided to fire Brian Flores instead of firing Chris Greer. And since he's been the general manager in Miami, not only does he have a losing record of 47 and 50 as a general manager, he's only been to the postseason one time. One time, Chris Greer, as the general manager, got the team to the postseason. He's also the same head coach who hired Adam Gase. Y'all know how I feel about Adam Gase. I, I said when he got the job in New York with the Jets, he was high. He was high. I've never been impressed with Adam Gase, but this is the guy that Chris Greer decided to hire. So my question for Stephen Ross is simple. Why would you fire Brian Flores, who showed improvement in his three years being your head coach and building a culture in Miami that's a winning culture? Why would you fire him and not fire Chris Greer? And it makes you wonder if Chris Greer and Stephen Ross were having lunch together and just yucking it up, laughing about, laughing at Brian Flores, like, hey, we don't really believe in him as a head coach. We don't really like how he handles things. Because, listen, I, I, I want to read you something. This is from... Jeff Darlington, and this is nothing against Jeff Darlington. He's a great reporter for ESPN. But this is a tweet that he had out yesterday. He said, the decision to fire Flores can be summed up with one word, relationships. His relationship with Greer and Tua had deteriorated to a pretty bad place, along with constant staff changes. Honor Steve Ross no longer saw Flores as a healthy fit in Miami. So that was Jeff Darlington's tweet about why Flores is out in Miami. 
And the word in that tweet, the key word is relationships. So you mean to tell me Stephen Ross fired Brian Flores because Brian Flores didn't see eye to eye with Chris Greer? As a head coach, if your general manager chose to draft Tua over Justin Herbert, wouldn't you be a little bit irritated with your general manager as well if you were a head coach? I know I would. I know if I was Brian Flores, I got to come to work every day knowing we had an opportunity to draft Justin Herbert and we picked Tua and you, the general manager, were a part of the reason why we drafted Tua, I would be looking at you sideways as well with a side eye. Like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, how are we looking at players in the draft? Because we've seen how Justin Herbert has turned out. I know the Chargers didn't make the playoffs, but Justin Herbert is a significantly better quarterback than Tua. It's not even close. Not even close. But I understand why Brian Flores was frustrated with Chris Greer. I can understand why he would be. And then, not to mention, this is the other thing that I thought about with this Miami Dolphin situation. Ross fired Flores because of relationships in sports. Is it about winning or is it about being buddy, buddy? Is it about singing Kumbaya and going to dinner together and having drinks on the weekends? Or is it about winning football games? Because if it's about winning football games, Brian Flores did just that. It got better every single year in the three seasons since he's been the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. You remember, in his first year in Miami, I want to say the Miami Dolphins, they started out like 0-7. They were 0-7. And then I think in those first four games, they were outscored like 126 to 26. Like they were getting completely blown off the field. Started out 0-7. They finished the season winning five of nine, if I'm not mistaken. They won five of nine. So they finished five and 11. And that team rallied around Brian Flores. He was a coach that was able to connect with his players and he brought the best out of his players. I mean, he was also able to manage Tua because when you remember earlier in the season, I went on record. I said, if the Miami Dolphins want to be true contenders in the AFC, they need to trade for Deshaun Watson. I said, there were reports out of Miami about how the Dolphins were in the market and they were trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. The fact that Brian Flores was able to manage Tua going through that situation, knowing his name is in trade rumors, shows you the type of coach that Brian Flores is. I don't think Brian Flores wanted to i think brian flores and according to reports he wanted deshaun watson but 
publicly, he said, Tua is our guy. Now, I know privately, he probably told people he wanted Deshaun Watson. But publicly, he told us Tua is our quarterback. So the fact that Brian Flores was able to manage Tua with his name being in trade rumors, that in and of itself shows you the quality of coach Brian Flores is. So I just think the Miami Dolphins made a mistake here. And this is one of those situations where, in a way, I'm happy for Brian Flores. He gets out of Miami. And if I'm Brian Flores right now, I'm kicking it with my family on the beach, collecting my checks from the Miami Dolphins. I'm getting my money and I'm chilling on the beach because I know I'm going to get another head coaching opportunity at some point. Might be this year. It might be this year where the Denver Broncos, Chicago Bears, somebody going to call Brian Flores for a coaching job. He won't be out of coaching long, but I would be chilling on the beach because sometimes the things that don't happen for you or work out for you is in your best interest. Have you ever seen someone be in a toxic relationship and they in this toxic relationship for two, four, six years, right? But after the relationship is over, or even the marriage, the couple doesn't have children. And you look at your friend and you say, male or female, hey, you didn't have kids with that person, so it could have been worse. You stuck with them forever. So if you're in a long-term relationship and it's toxic, and you get out of that long-term relationship, and you don't have a child together, you can move on happily with your lives after the relationship ends or the divorce happens. You can move on happily ever after. You don't have to have any connections to that toxic partner. I think that's how Brian Flores should look at his Miami Dolphins situation. You can move on, Flores, maybe go to Chicago and get a better quarterback in Justin Fields because I think Justin Fields is going to be better than Tua. Maybe go to Denver. They don't really have a quarterback to build their franchise around just yet, but I like that organization. Denver Broncos have one of the best organizations in the NFL. John Elway is a great leader in that Broncos organization. So I think this could be a blessing in disguise for Brian Flores. You need to look at the fact that he got his money, the fact that he was able to gain experience as a head coach in Miami. And I think, honestly, Brian Flores did the best job out of all of Bill Belichick's disciples who coached under him. I think Brian Flores did the best. He was better than Romeo Cornell. He was better than Bill O'Brien. I thought he did a great job. Now, I know everyone's going to say Bill O'Brien got the Houston Texans to the playoffs. Bill O'Brien had Deshaun Watson. Okay. Brian Flores was on his way to leading this Miami Dolphins team to the postseason. But when you're trying to change the culture, it takes time. And I just think when you look at Brian Flores and his time in Miami, first year, 5-11. and 11. Second year, 10-6. and six. This year, 9-8. and eight. They were heading in the right direction. Remember earlier this year, they started off 1-7. They were 1-7. One, eight straight, eight straight games. So 
Miami, you know, I think they made a mistake here. I think this is going to be something that they look back on and look at and say, hey, we made a mistake here years down the road. But the only thing I can think of that would make up for this would be the Miami Dolphins hiring Jim Harbaugh. That would be the only thing I would say that could make up for this. If they bring in Jim Harbaugh, if they convince him to leave Michigan and come to Miami, that would be the only thing I would say that could make up for firing Brian Flores. But there's already reports that Stephen Ross is not interested in Jim Harbaugh. Don't look like that's going to be the route they're going to take. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore Wakes, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And we should follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Real quick, out of all of these jobs that are open right now, I think the Minnesota Vikings have the best opportunity for a head coach to step in and have success because they got Kirk Cousins. And I thought Kirk Cousins was impressive this year. I thought Kirk Cousins played at an MVP level. Like he was a dark horse for NFL MVP this year. 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 4,221 passing yards. He completed 66% of his passes. They got weapons in Adam Thielen, in Justin Jefferson. You still got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. I think the Minnesota Vikings are the best landing spot for a new head coach to be successful. I I would say Minnesota more so than Chicago. I like Justin Fields, though. I think Justin Fields has a promising future in the NFL. As a quarterback, I just don't know about that Bears organization. I I I just don't. Like, I don't trust the Bears organization. Obviously, I don't trust the Miami Dolphins organization with their decision-making. I like Denver's organization with John Elway. I think Denver can be a destination for a new head coach where they could be successful. But in the NFC West, I'm sorry, in the AFC West, you got to face Derek Carr twice a year. You got to face Justin Herbert twice a year, Patrick Mahomes twice a year. So that could be tough. But I like that organization. I really, really do. But I think the Minnesota Vikings are the destination that a head coach should want to go to for instant success. I think the Vikings are a team that's ready to be a postseason team that could go on a playoff run next year. They got weapons offensively, and they got a good quarterback in Kirk Cousins. So I like Minnesota out of all these teams for a head coach to be successful. Everybody remember going to follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow the Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. Before I get out of here, let's talk about two young, promising quarterbacks in the NFL. Shall we? Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. One thing about living in 2022, in this day and age, is I notice we are prisoners of the moment. And I think right now, a lot of Bengal fans are prisoners of the moment. This year, unfortunately, the LA Chargers and Justin Herbert, they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday night football, 35 to 32, failed a nine and eight on the season. They missed the playoffs. And so, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to get an opportunity to see Justin Herbert in the postseason this year. And obviously, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals 
They won the AFC North. They had a 10 and 7 record. They punched their ticket to the postseason for the first time since 2015, I believe. And they got great weapons in Jameer Chase. They got Joe Mixon in the backfield. They got T. Higgins at receiver. They got Tyler Boyd in the slot. They got a great promising future. And so, you know, living here in Cincinnati, Bengal fans are beside themselves because they're in the postseason, because they finally got a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with in Joe Burrow. Bengal fans are just saying some crazy things. And that's why I'm talking about Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow tonight, because I'm listening to Bengal fans talk about how Joe Burrow is significantly better than Justin Herbert. Now, the key word in that is significantly, because we all know that Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are two of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. Like, I like Kyler Murray. I like Josh Allen. I like Jalen Hurts. Uh, like, I, I like a lot of these young quarterbacks. I really, really do. Like, and I think Patrick Mahomes is, is in a league of his own. But I think Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are two of the best young quarterbacks. I would probably take them over every everyone else, you know, besides Patrick Mahomes. Seriously. Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow are both big time. But Bengal fans have been saying that Joe Burrow is way better than Justin Herbert. And I just think that's kind of funny because let's talk about these two quarterbacks and debate about which quarterback is better. And I'm going to make the case for why I would take Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow. First and foremost, I want to say Joe Burrow is big time. I think Joe Burrow is a quarterback that will win an MVP at some point in his career. I think Joe Burrow is a quarterback who can win a Super Bowl here with the Cincinnati Bengals at some point in his career. This year, Joe Burrow has been absolutely sensational. He got 34 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He's thrown for over 4,600 passing yards. He's completing 70% of his passes. That is a league best when it comes to completion percentage. And Joe Burrow, is a winner. You remember he won a Heisman Trophy at LSU. That year, he had 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. He completed 76% of his passes. He led the LSU Tigers to the national championship. He was dominant in that championship game, and he was the best college football player the year he won the Heisman Trophy. And I think he has the intangibles to be a great quarterback. He is very accurate throwing the football. And he just so smooth under pressure. Like, I'll, I'll be watching Joe Burrow, and he just be seem so calm. Like, he doesn't get rattled. Like, I remember a few years ago, I was watching the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs against the Houston Texans and Deshaun Watson. And I was watching Josh Allen just get completely rattled in the playoffs 
against the Texans. In that game, Bills, Texans, Josh Allen was rattled. And it was obvious if you were watching the game that you could see Josh Allen be rattled. Deshaun Watson, he's one of those players who I believe has the intangibles to be great as well. I know we got some off the field issues going on right now, but on the field, I've always looked at Deshaun Watson as being a winner. You remember in college, Deshaun Watson, he went to -to back-to-back national championship games. One year he lost to Alabama. One year he beat Alabama. And I've always felt like Deshaun Watson, in pressure moments, he rises to the occasion. And I look at Joe Burrow as being the exact way, same way. Like I look at Joe Burrow as being the type of player who can perform at a high level when the lights are at its brightest. But that doesn't mean that Joe Burrow is significantly better than Justin Herbert because that's simply not true. Let's talk about both the Chargers offense and the Bengals offense this season. Points per game, the Chargers offense, they average 28 points per game. That's ranked fifth in the NFL. The Bengals, they average 27 points per game. That's tied for seventh in the NFL. Let's talk about passing yards per game. The LA Chargers, they average 282 passing yards per game. That's tied for second in the NFL. The Bengals, they average 260 passing yards per game. That's ranked seventh in the NFL. Let's talk about third down conversions. The Chargers, they convert on 45% of their third down plays, which is tied for fifth in the NFL. The Bengals, they convert on 40% of their third down plays, which is ranked 16th in the NFL. So all of those major Statistical categories, offensively, Justin Herbert's Chargers statistically have better numbers than Joe Burrow's Bengals. Okay, well, what about when the Chargers and the Bengals played against each other in week 13? Which quarterback played better in that game? Joe Burrow, he went 24 of 40. He had 300 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and he had one fumble in that game. Justin Herbert in that game. He he went 26 of 35. He threw for 317 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interceptions, and the Chargers beat the Bengals 41 to 22. So when I look at both these quarterbacks. This year, Justin Herbert, he's thrown for more passing yards than Joe Burrow has. Herbert, he's thrown for over 5,000 passing yards. Joe Burrow has thrown for 4,611 total passing yards. Justin Herbert, he has more touchdown passes than Joe Burrow does. Herbert, 38 touchdowns. Burrow, 34 touchdowns. They about even with interceptions. Herbert got 15 interceptions. Burrow got 14 interceptions. Now, Burrow does have Herbert on completion percentage. Again, Burrow leads the NFL in completion percentage with 70. Herbert got 66. But overall, when I compare Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, I would say 
Justin Herbert is slightly better than Joe Burrow. And I know Bingo fans are going to crucify me for having this opinion. I don't give a damn. This is the first time the Bengals have had a legit franchise quarterback since Carson Palmer. I think Joe Burrow probably better than Carson Palmer, honestly. He's probably going to have a better career than Carson Palmer. So let, we'll go back to even Boomer Esaias. That's the last time the Bengals had a legit star at the quarterback position. So I think it's within reason why, like, why you see the big, that's why you see the Bengals right now talking like Joe Burrow is significantly better than Justin Herbert because they haven't had a quality quarterback who can win them a Super Bowl with. Andy Dalton was serviceable. He was never great. He was good. He was never great. Palmer had some moments where he was great. Joe Burrow is consistently great. But that doesn't mean he's better than Herbert. Herbert is a better, pure passer than Burrow is. I think Burrow, you can make an argument, is a better and more accurate thrower than Herbert. But there are some throws I've, I've seen Justin Herbert make that only Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes can make. I'm going to say that again. There are some throws that I have seen Justin Herbert make that only Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes can make. I think Justin Herbert is a better thrower of the football than Joe Burrow is. Now, again, I think Joe Burrow is a more proven winner than Justin Herbert. But being a winner and being a better player are two completely different things. Right now, if I'm starting a franchise, despite Justin Herbert not making the playoffs, I'm taking Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow. Now, if you give me Joe Burrow, I'm good with Joe. I'm good with Burrow. I'm good with Joey B. I know Joey B can win football games. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is a scrub, but no mistake about it. Like I said, after Patrick Mahomes, it's Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. 1A and 1B for me. But I'm taking Herbert slightly. I just think Herbert is a more gifted quarterback than Burrow is. And I've seen Herbert make throws in games that made me drop my like, mouth watching like, what? He really did that? Did y'all watch the game Sunday night? Late in that game, all the chips to the front of the table for the Chargers season? And Justin Herbert stepped up in those moments and made key throws for the Chargers to get to overtime. Without Justin Herbert, the Chargers wouldn't have even gotten to overtime. They got to overtime because of Justin Herbert. And, and then, like, I look at their receiving cores, right? I love Keenan Allen. He is more proven than any of the Bengals receivers. Keenan Allen is with the Pro Bowls in his career, but the Bengals offensively, they're more talented than the Chargers are. I like the, the Chargers receiving core, though. I like Mike Williams. I like Keenan Allen, obviously. I like Jerry Cook at tight end. But I would take Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Uzama, Joe Mixon. I would take them over Ekelar, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I would take the Bengals receiving core over the Chargers receiving core. So I think. Joe Burrow has more to work with than Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is doing more with less. Now, again, they're about even. They're close because I think the Chargers got weapons too now. 
I'm not saying the Chargers don't got no weapons. I just think the Bengals got more weapons offensively than the Chargers do. But when I compare these these, these two quarterbacks, I, I, I'm going to give the slight edge to Justin Herbert, but it's not to take anything away from Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow is elite. And I think these are two quarterbacks, along with Patrick Mahomes, who will be competing in the AFC for future seasons to come. I remember we used to have Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady competing to win Super Bowls. Now we got Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Patrick Mahomes. Because I think those three are the three best young quarterbacks. And, and, and maybe Kyler Murray. I want to see what Kyler does do in the playoffs this year. I really want to see what he does do in the playoffs. But Bengal fans going crazy because, because Justin Herbert didn't make the playoffs this year, that gives the Bengal fans more leverage in a debate when you compare Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. That's the only reason why Bengal fans are saying that Joe Burrow is significantly better than Justin Herbert. Again, I don't even have a problem with anyone saying Joe Burrow is better than Herbert. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem when you say he's significantly better than Justin Herbert. That's where I have an issue because that's insane. Anybody with football sense can see the physical gifts that Justin Herbert has. In his rookie season, Justin Herbert, he had 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, over 4,000 passing yards in his rookie season. Rookie season. And he completed 66% of his passes in his rookie season. Okay, so anybody with football knowledge knows Herbert has more physical gifts than Joe Burrow. But again, I have the problem with Bengal fans saying significant. That's my problem. And that's why I had to come on the Wise Guys show and debate Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. But again, you can win a Super Bowl with either one of these two young quarterbacks. They both are studs at the quarterback position. They really, really are. And I'm looking forward to seeing them compete against one another in the AFC. Everybody remember to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore awake. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. That's a wrap for tonight's show. I'll be back on Friday talking the NFL playoffs. We got some action jam-packed games. Saturday, we're going to open up with the Raiders at Bengals. Then we got the AFC East battle in Buffalo, Patriots at Bills. And then Sunday, we got Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, who are underdogs, traveling to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the New England and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm, I'm going back. I'm, I'm <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then in the primetime window, Sunday on CBS, you got Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers traveling to Dallas to take on Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Nightcap that night, we got Ben Roethlisberger, one last run going up against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, Steelers, Chiefs on NBC. It's going to be a great matchup. And then Monday, this is something new that the NFL is doing with this Monday night playoff matchup. You got an NFC West battle between Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford on ESPN, Cardinals, Rams. It's going to be a great matchup. So. I'm going to break down all of the playoff matchups on Friday's show. 
on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. I'm Trey Larkins signing off. Enjoy your night. Wise Guys. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.